Welcome to the Impact Ministry Podcast. My name is Maggie Shade, and I'm with Angie Brower, the Survivor Care Director for Rafa International and the Clinical Director for the Hope and Healing Center. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. Well, hi, Angie. Hi, Maggie. How are you? I'm great. Good. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited that we have begun a partnership with Rafa, an official partnership. We have been partnering for a long time, but our church is so excited. Our people are so excited. And we were able to record a podcast with Tara to hear about the international side of things. But I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about what Rafa does here locally because it is such important work. So thank you for being here. Thanks for all your work. I'm excited to dive into this. Thanks for having me. Uh, We're so excited. Angie, tell me a little bit about your current role and what has your journey with Rafa looked like over the many years? What has that looked like? Yeah, that's a a loaded question. (laughs) Um, Okay, current roles. So in the survivor care director side of things, that's largely with overseas programming. Um, All of our counselors and social workers and um, really just any of the programming stuff that's happening, if they need me to be in on that conversation, then that is what I do. So survivor care is such um, an overarching framework for everything from the moment that a young girl joins us at Rafa at one of our um, centers to, you know, the work we do with her while she is there and following clear through to when she graduates from our program and either enters the workforce, we get her skills training, or she wants to go to university and we help her do that, or she's able to reestablish with family and we help, we facilitate that. Um, and I mean, we could be here for hours. So I'm I'm very much skimming the surface, but... Um, We always want to make sure that when a girl returns to the community that she is, A, ready to do so, um, and B, has the skills, the resources, the tools, the emotional skills to be successful in the community. So if that is a younger girl who um, reintegrates with family and goes back home, we want to make sure that not only does she have social workers who are still available to her, but so does the family. It's a very comprehensive look. So you can imagine that is... um, that is a huge undertaking for our staff there, for our social workers and our therapists. And um, I'm really just kind of the troubleshooter girl that they're like, hey, here's what's going on. What do you think? How do we handle this? And then, of course, speaking into, you know, more of an overarching look of policies and things like that. That's kind of the international side uh-huh, of what uh-huh. I do. Um, and then, of course, getting getting to visit and, and be with the girls is a highlight. So that's kind of a look at um, my involvement, and again, it, it you know it's Rafa. We all do whatever needs done. So, <laughs> I'm sure there are a thousand things I'm forgetting, but uh, that's the main gist of what my finger is in the pie over there. And then, um, as to how I got involved with Rafa, it was actually my dad, Joe Garman, who many many moons ago, I want to say it was 2000. It was 2000 because my oldest daughter had just been born. Wow. And he was on a mission trip to Cambodia and while there discovered this issue of human trafficking because a family in the village where he was speaking had a girl who had been in a brothel. They had her in their home in a good way. Um, And, you know, this was before it was trendy to know a lot about human trafficking. He had never heard of this before. He did not know this was an issue. And he basically came home and said, what are we going to do about this? And... um, I had just had a baby and was headed back to grad school. And he looked at my sister, Stephanie, and said, I will, I will fund a fact-finding mission. Go see what you can find out, and then let's do something 
as a family, let's make this happen. And that is really how it was born. And I love telling that story because it is a beautiful look into anybody can make a difference. It wasn't like I was already a licensed clinical social worker. I wasn't at that time. I had my bachelor's degree, but I had not returned to grad school yet. It wasn't like Stephanie was already in this work. My dad was in prison ministry. It wasn't like he was involved in this work. But when he came home and said, he said, you know, I have two daughters. And um, at that point, I think he had all granddaughters and only my oldest had been born. He's like, any of them born at a different time in a different place to different people. This could be any of them. And I can't pretend I don't know this is happening. Absolutely. It's such a great picture of when you come face to face with an injustice like that, you have a choice. I mean, he could have turned a blind eye to that or he can do something and say, I'm also not just going to do this by myself, but I'm bringing people into this and here we go. And I also, I, you know, I have to take the opportunity to say, if you're somebody listening today who's like, well, I don't feel like that's, I don't feel like I can go start a nonprofit or I don't feel like I can, you know, take a fact-finding trip to Cambodia, that's okay. Um, You can help support in other ways. You can definitely be praying for that work to be done. You can be a financial partner. There are, you know, things you could probably do as a volunteer in your church for this ministry and other ministries. There is always a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Okay, so that's how that's the international side of things, but there is something really special here in Joplin. Yes. What tell me, tell us about the Hope and Healing Center. Okay. What how did that come about? What is that? Give us an overview of that. Right. So I knew from the moment I um, finished grad school and went went to work that I wanted to work with um, people with trauma cases. It was just something that was on my heart. And for many, many, many moons on my own in private practice, this is what I did. And so when when Rafa would have a case, whether it was a child or an adult, somebody that you know really needed some crisis intervention, maybe couldn't get in anywhere quickly enough, I would partner with them and step into those situations. And we had known for a lot of years there is a gap in services here. Um, We didn't feel like, hey, the next move is to um, open a safe house here in Joplin or really in the U.S. at all, Um, simply because we have a system to work within. And while it has flaws, for sure, um, if you've been anywhere else in the world, you'll realize how grateful, (laughs) how grateful we need to be for it. We have a system we can work within here. Um, that they don't have. In a lot of developing countries, they do not have that. So we didn't feel like that was the thing that needed to be done. There are safe houses for adult survivors of trafficking and things like that. And we have partnerships with many of those know where to send women who uh, might reach out to Rise or reach out to Rafa and say, hey, I need help. What do we do? But we didn't feel like a facility that did residential inpatient was the gap that needed filled here. It seemed like the gap that needed filled here was really quality trauma expertise, Um, not just in the area of trafficking, but any kind of exploitation, sexual abuse, abuse of other kinds, trauma in general. Um, It is my passion. It is what I put so many years of my education and research into. How does the brain handle trauma? I promise I won't nerd out too hard on you. (laughs) You know I love it. You know I love it. That's a whole separate podcast. We'll have you back for that one because I love that. I will so nerd out if we do that. (laughs) 
Um, but the brain really does, you know, process trauma differently than anything else. And so if you're going to be working with somebody who has trauma, you need to understand that about the brain and work with them in a different way using different modalities. And so we sat down and looked at it, and it was a dream in the making for a long time that we just did not have funding for at all. And to be honest with you, when we jumped off the edge, we really did not have funding for it either. It was just kind of a, hey, let's all take a big step of faith here. We know this is what God wants us to do. Let's start with you. Let's start with you and one other person and see what happens. Um, And so that's what we did. So I kind of took all of my private practice people and said, let's conglomerate here. And we hired um, Brooke Smith, who um, sees children and is wonderful. Um, And so to begin with, it was just Brooke and I. And quickly, we were both full and had waiting lists. And we realized, oh my goodness, there is so much need for this in our area. There is so much need for this. Um, We were able to hire another part-time person, and we have a pretty robust intern program that, except for a couple of months in the summer, we always have interns there. Um, that can handle some of the smaller T traumas as they are learning to step into that. Um, But we are very excited because in, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but when we move over into our new building, we are going to more than double our space. Um, We're going to have some areas that are specifically for like body movement trauma work, some areas that are specifically for play therapy trauma work with kids. Um, we're very, very excited. That is amazing. And you know, we have we have a bunch of foster families here yes. in our Christchurch community and the kids that they have, the kids that come from hard places that come from trauma, this is so unbelievably needed. It is just incredible to see an organization, a faith-based organization say, we need trauma-focused therapy. We need to step into this. It is such an incredible gift to our community. You talked a little bit about some things that are going to happen at the new building, but what kinds of services or um, types of things do you do What kind in in the counseling practices? What types of things do you offer? Because I know there's a wide range of things that you do. Yeah, there are several modalities that are um, specific to trauma. trauma. Um, So EMDR is one we offer. Um, TFCBT is a modality we offer. We actually have um, a therapist on staff who is specifically certified to work with, she's going to kill me because I can't remember the initials of her certification. It is, she is one of the only people in the state of Missouri, actually, that is certified in this. But she is certified to work with new moms, people who are going to be moms, and people who just became moms that had traumatic birth experiences, traumatic pregnancies, or maybe loss of an infant. That is a very specific kind of trauma, so we do that work. Um, There's somatic therapy, there's movement therapy, and these are all therapies that take into account the way your brain kind of interacts with trauma and changes you. It It changes you. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you are in relationship with others. And so many survivors of different kinds of trauma have had this happen to them, have felt changed, have known something is different, and have believed it to be a failure on their part. Like, I just didn't handle it well. If they're from a faith community, they may think, I don't have enough faith. Or, um, you know, this depression, this sadness, this turmoil that I'm experiencing is clearly a sign that spiritually I'm in trouble. 
And I can't speak for everybody. Everybody has their own spiritual journey. But for anyone listening today that has ever felt that way, I can tell you that just like having heart disease, right, is about the organ of my heart, um, having actual clinical depression is about the organ of your brain. And um, having enough faith is not enough alone. Um, do miracles happen? Absolutely. Can heart disease be healed? Absolutely. But if we're talking about somebody feeling like, oh, I don't have enough faith and that's why I still have depression or that is why I'm still dealing with this trauma. Um, no, God is walking right there alongside you saying, go get help. Go get help, my love. There is help out there. Absolutely. And what a beautiful—I I heard someone recently here at Christchurch that was praying for someone that was um, going through a medical procedure, and they asked God to bring healing. And they said, and in whatever way you want to do that, you yes. want to make it where they just wake up one day and it's gone. You want to provide that healing through the doctor's hands. However you want to provide that healing, God, we ask that you do that. And it's the same with this. Yes. We ask God to provide healing for us mentally and emotionally from our trauma. And sometimes he brings that healing through therapy, That's through right. these, these kind of modalities and these services. And what a gift that we have this in our community. Um, so what? why is this so important? For our specific community, for the Joplin community, what kinds of things are you seeing? What types of issues do you see children, adults facing in our community that makes the Hope and Healing Center so vital? Right. So um, a lot of your listeners have probably heard of ACEs, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences, and they can affect do affect not only your mental and emotional well-being, but your physical well-being. People who have had a higher number of ACEs in their childhood have a tendency to have more health issues, even things like diabetes and heart issues, and um, you just would be so surprised. So that saying we have of children are resilient, it is true. Children are resilient, but they are not um, magical. I mean, they are kind of magical, but you know what I mean. Um, Th these things do find a place in their body to reside and rest and uh, later in life raise their ugly heads to make trouble for them. Um, they don't necessarily, even if they have forgotten the event, their body does not necessarily forget the event or the trauma or the aftermath. So I bring that up to say in our community, um, there is a lot of poverty. And we know that poverty goes hand in hand with other issues often substance use issues, um, turmoil in the home. Although I will say that abuse crosses every socioeconomic barrier. Um, it, it does not stay within the confines of any one kind of situation. But we know when children are dealing with things like poverty, other things, no matter how loving their home may be, other things come into effect that can be quite traumatizing, like not having enough to eat or the way other people treat you or being bullied at school. All of these things are traumas. So anything that is going to affect you in an adverse way, in a chronic kind of life-affecting kind of way, is a trauma. Um, the more of these they have as children, the more it's going to impact them. And then you also think of, we like to say at the Hope and Healing Center, the reason we feel like this is for our entire community is because if I am dealing with one child or one teen or one parent, I'm not really just dealing with that one person. Any impact I have with that person is going to affect the way they are in relationship with their spouse, with their children, with the community at large. We're trying to build a healthier community across the board by 
coming at trauma head on and saying, this is what it is. It's not your fault. This is how it affects you. And there is hope. There is a way out of that. I love that. I love that picture of it impacting not just that individual, but their family, that community. And even looking at how that is going upstream of what's going to happen 10, 15, 20 years down the road. I mean, how many times in our foster care ministry, we host supervised visits between kids in care and their biological parents. And the number of times that the bio parents have told me, well, I was in foster care too. And I think, man, you had this trauma. It probably was not dealt with or handled in a careful way by someone who loves you. And now you're repeating these things that happened to you. So I love that it it is, you know, putting a stop to so many of those generational yes. things and providing healing to our entire community. Oh, I love that. Okay. So you talked a little bit about the new building, mm-hmm. which I'm so excited for. As tell me, <laughs> tell me a little bit, like, what's that going to be? How is, how's that going to change the game for you guys? Oh, Maggie, I don't even know how to answer that question. I, I, I Can you hear that I'm smiling? <laughs> I can tell. I, I can cannot tell. stop. <laughs> um, so we realized we were running out of office space pretty quickly. We had two therapy offices. Um, we had we have two therapy offices at our current location. And literally those offices are being used from eight or nine in the morning, literally until eight or nine at night on many nights. So um, we have a daytime staff that's there. Then we have at least one therapist who comes in three evenings a week. And then we have some interns who work some during the day and some during the evening. So we were really trying to be excellent stewards of the resources God gave us in that time. And then I got whiny and I went to Angela Foster and I said, (laughs) do you really need that office right there? And Angela's wonderful. And she's like, I can make do without it. I love Um, it. And so we turned one of the headquarter offices into a therapy room you know, did what we needed to do for HIPAA to make it um, compatible. And so now we have three spaces. And what's funny about that is you would think, oh, three offices, three therapists. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> three offices, multiple therapists, because we we use them um, so well from early morning till late at night. So oh, I love it. The new building means we are going to have double the office space In addition, we are going to have a waiting room. If any of my past or current clients or anyone who's been to the Hope and Healing Center is listening, you'll be so happy to hear that. (laughs) Um, All of our clients have their own entrance, but really then they just, you know, if they're waiting, if it's a parent waiting for a child or waiting for your turn in session, you're going to be sitting in the gallery and you're welcome to be there. But it also, you know, is, is an open area, an open space. Staff is moving around and we are very excited to have a private waiting area for our clientele. Um, We're going to have a movement room like I talked about. We are super excited about that because I have literally seen, not just read the evidence, but seen with my own two eyes the difference it can make in someone who is holding trauma in their body, literally holding trauma in the cells of your body. It can make such a difference. And I had a client um, who was older, older than me, and I'm in my 50s. She was older than me. And she said, she was talking about her childhood abuse. And she said, you know, I I grew up in the church and it just wasn't something we were encouraged to talk about. It was one of those things that you need to respect your parents that might make them look bad, that they didn't protect you. 
um, or made a mistake. And it was just, no one ever said that to me directly, but that was kind of the gist I got, right? And she said, and it wasn't until I was the age I am now that I realized I maybe don't have to live this way. And that both breaks my heart and makes me smile because I'm so proud of her for realizing that it is never too late. Absolutely. And I'm heartbroken for her that for so many decades, she lived in a place of feeling like to protect others, to save someone else's skin, I must stay silent about what I've endured and not get help. Yeah, oh, that she went for so long. So speaking of that, if there is someone who is considering getting going to counseling, to therapy, um, either for themselves or for a child, maybe yes. their child or a foster child, something like that, what is something you would say to them? What, how would you encourage them if they're considering that? I would say in all caps, do it. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Um, I wish everybody at one point or another in their life would enter into therapy for themselves, for their spouse, for their children. Um, there, there's not a person on the planet that doesn't have something they could work through that would improve their overall physical, mental, and emotional well-being. There's not a person on the planet. I would say to parents, because I am a parent of four, and um, I have I have put all of my kids in therapy at one time or another, and I, I will own that, and they're public about it, so I'm not telling secrets on them. Um, and I want to tell you that I understand as a parent, there's that initial feeling of, does sending my kid to therapy mean I have failed in some way? Have I failed somehow because my child needs therapy? Of course not. Um, Your child being in therapy means you're just trying to take great care of him. Everybody has hardship. Everybody encounters obstacles and hurdles and things that they don't quite know how to handle on their own. And maybe you as a family have never encountered something before and you're not real sure how to handle it. Um, I would say do it. And I would also say, if I can spend just a few more seconds on this, that it is so important that you click with your therapist, with your counselor. It is so important. So if you meet with somebody and you walk, I tell my clients this all the time. If you meet with me and you walk away saying, hey, Angie's a nice lady, but we just don't really click. I don't see myself being able to open up and share with her. I applaud you for that. I welcome that information. I will give you other names of people you can maybe go try. It is so imperative. So if you or your child is working with someone and it just isn't the right fit, that does not mean that therapy is not right for you. It just means you haven't found your right fit yet. I love that. I love that the the stigma, especially within the church, of therapy is starting to change. It like is. what a beautiful thing. I remember a few years ago, I had this mindset of I'll I'll just wait until like, like if I hit rock bottom, if everything falls apart, then I'll go to counseling. And I remember my husband said to me, or maybe <laughs> if you go before, then maybe you won't hit that point. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, mind blown. Yes. And it has been such an incredible thing for me and my faith and my family just to be able to process things that I needed to process. So I would, I would just, I would completely echo that. I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, Okay. So if someone is loving what you're saying, it's really clicking, they want to maybe get therapy, get therapy for their child, find out more about the Hope and Healing Center. How do they do that? Where do they find out more information? Yeah, you can go on rafa.org online and you can um, click a link over to the Hope and Healing Center. You can read all about Rafa and the work they do overall. Then you can click into the Hope and Healing Center and um, get information on the different people that are working there. Yeah. And make an appointment that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Angie. It's been a wonderful conversation. I am so thankful 
just so thankful that this is a resource that we have in our community, that we have an organization that cares enough about our community to say there was a gap, there was a void, and we are going to take a risk and we are going to figure out how to how to make this work and to see what it's grown into, to see where you're headed with the new building. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to see that. So Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening. If you want to find out more information about the Hope and Healing Center or about Rafa in general, you can go to rafa.org to find out more information there. Thank Thank you, Maggie. Maggie.